Hi, everyone, and thanks so much for joining us for this podcast, Adventures of the Awakened Heart. My name is Julie Tara, and you can certainly learn more about me through the links below. Um, I started this podcast because during these turbulent times, I really felt a calling to that we're all being called really to connect more to our hearts, come from our hearts to help end uh, so much of the divisiveness that's occurring. And so I started this and I've really enjoyed doing it. And I am super excited today to have a beautiful friend of mine that I'm gonna interview, Steve Eisler. And let me tell you a little about Steve before we get going here. So Steve Eisler is from the New York City area, born in the bucolic 1950s. He was a disinterested high school student and then got more engaged with life when he attended Northeastern University in Boston. There, he saw the beginnings of self-empowerment during the Vietnam War period protests. He then started a high-end catering company where giving excellent service under pressure came naturally. Steve became passionate about delicious food, good health, and an anti-inflammatory lifestyle. Through volunteerism and deep engagement with the people he meets, Steve practices positivity, inclusion, and connectivity. And I'm gonna put a link below so you'll be able to connect with Steve if you would like to. So I am thrilled. Hi, Steve, how are you doing? Hi, Julie, I'm well, how are you today? I'm really good. It's a beautiful day in Colorado. We're both here and uh, close to each other. And we became fast friends, I think, from the very first time we met at a friend of our mutual friend of ours house. And you made this dinner that I will still remember to this day. It was like Babette's feast. And yeah. I was like, who is this man that creates this extraordinary food? So that's how we met. And I think we knew right then and there we were going to be good buddies. Right. Yeah. You know, food is a combination of art and um, sharing and family. And, and it just comes so easy. I love creativity. And art is one of those, food is one of those art forms where you can enjoy it, share it, and improve each other. Absolutely. And that dinner, I mean, there was a whole bunch of us there and we all went around and we were toasting and connecting, seeing how we knew each other. And, and uh, I was helping you clean up the dishes after and, and you were so grateful. You were like, thank you so much for helping or serving these things. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's absolutely my pleasure. We, we really it was it was one of those unforgettable evenings. Absolutely. In my life anyway. Oh, lovely. Lovely. Thank you. I'm glad I had an uh, impact. You did very much so and still do. And so <clears throat> let's start with, um, with this chat today regarding Gaia, because as you know, I've started this podcast with the Gaia Global Community members. And I know you have a real curious mind and, and you're part of the Gaia community. Um, can you tell me like, what is it that's made the best impact on you from Gaia? What is the real asset that you find about being part of this community? Well, living in Colorado, we're in a little bubble, aren't we? Living in North America, we are. 
having stumbled onto um, Gaia, and it wasn't a stumble upon, a dear friend of mine introduced me to Gaia, and it opens up a world of um, global thinkers, universal thinkers, um, people that are looking to, and I support Gaia in this, that they want to improve everybody's life in a positive way. It's, we're so fortunate to have Gaia as a resource right now. So from Gaia, um, I guess we'll go into this, but I've met some people that I know would be dear friends. My favorite Gaia speaker is Carolyn Mays. She, uh, she is so uh, connecting and so heartfelt and nurturing. I love her. She is amazing. And <clears throat> she came to the Gaia sphere and I was doing interviews at that time at Gaia and uh, uh, some of my close friends came to that to that weekend workshop with her and she she packs a punch, you know, she doesn't let you get away with anything. She's so on beam, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. In fact, many of us sometimes get distracted. She not so. I understand that she used to be a medical intuitive and she stopped doing that because this conversation that she um, has initiated is more impactful. And so um, this is like her main drive right now. She's fabulous. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I'm thrilled that, that you, you see this sort of eclectic nature of Gaia's material and that there are, I know there are many that you love. I think you, Greg Braden, you mentioned Joe Dispenza, some of these others, and they are, they are highlights on the Gaia platform. They're real luminaries. Masaru Emoto, if people don't know his work, he was a Japanese uh, um, scientist and he studied the benefits of talking nicely to water. And do you know his work? Oh yeah, and very well, very well. <laughs> a lot of people don't know how important their words are. Uh, we all know that certainly, uh, Negative thoughts can pull you down. Negative self-talk can hold you back. Conversely, positive thoughts can propel you forward and we can elevate each other just with words. You don't have to like give somebody a hundred dollar bill. You can tell somebody, I see you, I love you. Absolutely, I, I, I'm all about that. I think the word has tremendous power of cr creation in it. And so we have to be mindful and you are a very, very positive person. I know that about you. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle uh, with life at times. It is a hero's journey. We, we do go through dark nights and so forth. Um, I'd like to ask you about, you know, your spiritual awakening. When did you feel like that really started happening? Was that as a child or was that more when you came across amazing thinkers or what, what happened for you with that? Um, growing up, I just knew something wasn't quite right. And it wasn't a problem with me necessarily. I, it, it was the human condition. And when I left my family of origin to go to the university in Boston, I started reading some uh, philosophers. I was reading uh, Camus and Sartre, um, Kierkegaard, uh, Kafka, a lot of the people that were kind of struggling. And I was in a struggle also uh, for identity, for connectivity. Um, and I, um, 
was kind of unbolted some of the armor that was holding me in, that was constraining me. Then I stumbled on Carl Rogers and Abe Maslow and Eric Erickson, and these were the positivity people. Carl Rogers, his simple expression of giving people positive, unconditional regard was kind of like the beginning foundation of my operating system, of the new me as I was choosing who I wanted to be or how I wanted to come across. Carl Rogers was very important. So was Maslow's hierarchy that we need to take care of some of our needs. I realized you can take care of yourself, that we can improve ourselves. We don't need an outside source. Through choices of our words and our thoughts, um, we can be the best self that we, that we are, that we can be. That's very powerful and so interesting because I also read quite a few of those different people and, and you know, the sort of nihilism and I was reading Orwell and the dystopian, you know, and of course, right now we're looking at all of that and uh, what's really going on. And I would agree with you that when, when you keep coming back to the power of the thoughts and, and our heart, you know, we can come forth with with a real new creation of who we want to become. And it's a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. So let's talk a little more about the heart. Like for you, Steve, what would you, what would you say the awakened heart really means for you? What, what is that? Uh, well, it means calmness. The awakened heart, I think, means um, being kind to yourself and also sharing that with everybody. I like the idea of high tides lifts all boats. And I like the idea of pumping up the water, elevating the people around me. And by having a good heart myself, being a good role model, uh, you just pick up everybody's spirits. And <laughs> I mean, that's- and you do. I mean, I've, I've watched you do it. And, 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 and I, I feel like I, I also, you know, come from that place of wanting to lift people up. And I love that the high tide rises all boats. I've always loved that idea, you know. And so the more positivity and the more loving we can be in a congruent, authentic way, because, you know, because we all know when someone's not being congruent. We know when they're just trying to be positive when they're not really feeling it we can we can sense that so fast don't you think yeah oh definitely um there's a, a a few people that say what they think the true life purpose is um joe Dispenza thinks it is to you know be limitless and um carolyn mays though it's more simple she really thinks that the purpose of life is to show kindness it's succinct and it's something, it's an easy thing to practice. Certainly some religions have co-opted that and they, um, but you don't have to do it under the auspices of a religion. Yeah. We can practice one-on-one -on -one to each other and improve everybody. Yes, I remember Greg Braden speaking about this uh, when, when he was, I think it was in Tibet, it could have been Nepal, and he asked, he did ask the monks, you know, what is sort of the meaning of life, what's the, you know, deepest thing, and, and they all spoke about compassion, so he speaks a lot about, you know, loving compassion, and this, and this intimates that, you know, we're all connected, and that, you know, do as to others as you would have them do unto you, and the golden rule, and all of that, 
And, and I do think loving kindness, loving compassion kind of encapsulates to me what the awakened heart really, really is. But we, you know, we struggle and we, and we have times when we don't feel that way. And, you know, we have to really make a concentrated effort to, uh, to really examine deeply our value system and, and just, you know, make a, make a, a conscious choice I'm thinking right now of that idea of, you know, the, there's a the sort of dark, it's like the dark side of the moon. There's a dark side of the heart and the, and the light side of the heart and, you know, which, which wins and it's the one you feed the most, you know, that old story of the Native American and the wolf, you know, it's like there was a, the wolf. And uh, I always felt like, yeah, it's what we put focus to, what we concentrate on, what we decide, who we decide we want to be. So in lieu of that, I'm, um, I'm wondering, like, do you have a time in life where you, you, you would love to share a story about something where it really kind of flipped for you from more of the dark side of the moon to the light side of the moon or the, you know, the heart's um, ultimate choice? Ah, the heart's ultimate choice. Well, I think that the way to show love or to see love is to give service. You know, when you are looking out for others or paying attention to others, um, boy, one of those, one of those uh, moments. Um, <laughs> um, it's a challenge. It can be, it can be a challenge. This is this is why I do this, Steve, because I think we all we all have these really raw times in life and, and they're challenging and they and they do sometimes make us giggle or they do because it makes us sort of nervous. It's like oh, there's this whole piece, you know. You know, one of those moments um, was when uh, my parents are fading away and I was going to help my parents into their passage. And I had two sisters that were very available. They were kind of doing the weekly or the daily uh, attendance to my folks. And I came in from out of town and I told them, just you guys step back, just you guys get recharged. I'll give you a break and don't have any conflicts between each other. Sometimes sisters carry on childhood um, uh, conversations into adulthood and I was telling them uh, love each other it's all about our folks you don't have to think about each other it's not and anyway I took charge and gave them some leadership that they were wanting I was the youngest brother and sometimes the youngest in the family has the uh, least influence or the least power and a lot of people don't pick up the power that's right available to them. And I was able to uh, tell them, everything's going to be okay. I'm here. Not that I'm the big problem solver, but I could give them some peace and let them know that uh, the trajectory they put our folks on, I was going to continue with. And it was wonderful. It was just a wonderful healing moment. That sounds so powerful because you're right. Most siblings carry on a lot of things from from childhood were they able to get beyond them the ego and, and and bond and love each other in order to help your parents 
I would like to say yes. <laughs> wow. I think some of the old tapes come back though, you know, how we, unless we're vigilant, um, habits can, you know, propel themselves forward. And so they were, they were very loving and very supportive and um, we all got on the same page. And it was great. I felt that I was uh, instrumental in their uh, healing and bonding together. And we've been, you know, so, sometimes when there's the death in the family, the families just disperse. And um, it hasn't been the case with us. We've gotten closer and we support each other. I really love this story because it feels to me that what you did is you rose to a greater sense within yourself um, of, of being of service to the good of all, the good of them, the good of yourself, the good of the, the, your parents, you know, who were going through this, you know, difficult transition for themselves and also for you to, you know, to guide them through. So <clears throat> it feels like you took the noble road, is the, the way I feel it. And it was a little risky because um, you know, they had um, enjoyed having the um, control, uh, having more influence in the family. Only I thought, you know, it's time for some new energy. And I just, there, there, is, there is a vacuum in life. There's always room for um, healthy leadership, for loving leadership. There's always room for that. And uh I sort of uh, insinuated myself in that position in the relationships. I, I really love it. I'm so glad you <clears throat> shared this story. I'm also the youngest of, of three. And so I, I do relate to what you said about often the youngest one doesn't have, you know, really so much power. They're always the little one. They're always running behind. They're a little slower on the bicycle, whatever it is, slower to pick things up because they're little, they're smaller. And, and so when we're adults, it's harder to... <clears throat> to know how to bring one's uh, deeper, higher level of being to those relationships. So I really applaud you for doing that. I know that takes courage. And I think on the hero's journey, it does take courage to step in, step up and, you know, propose as you did, you know, hey guys, this isn't about you. Let's go beyond this. Let's be loving because actually we're here in service of our parents right now. You know, later in life, I started reading, that was maybe 15 years ago. Later in life, I stumbled on Joe Dispenza and Joe through Gaia. And Joe talked about um, through our experience is when we can see the most wisdom and try new things, absorb new, put yourself in a situation to absorb new experiences and via the experience we get a little bit of reflection and that's where wisdom comes from you don't get wise just you know staying in the back seat always you want to like risk something i love the whole idea of risk um and then you know often risk is uncomfortable but then the next time you do something you can handle that much discomfort plus a little bit more it's like enduring pain you know, when you can endure this amount of pain, next time you come up against something, you can endure a little bit more. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? And it, 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 wisdom doesn't just come because we want to be wise. It is true. It is through life's experiences that, that we, you know, have to hit up against things and, and make those deep, deep heartfelt decisions about how we're going to respond 
response yeah. versus react. I mean, Viktor Frankl's book comes to mind, you know, Man's Search for Meaning. It's one of the most powerful books I've ever read in my life uh, because of the level of torture, shall we say, that he was subject to and that he realized he had the choice ultimately of how he was going to respond and that it wasn't about reaction. It was about true response and that you always have that moment, the, the gap in there of, of, you know, between the stimulus and the response. How, how do I get to choose now? What's my choice in this moment? Yeah. And we can always, um, hopefully we can always expect ourselves to um, mutate to improve, to change. As you and I were saying, we started off kind of as the disempowered youngest member of a family. And then in life, you become the, the president of your own corporation and you have to be a leader. And having been an employer, I had many, many people that looked to me for, um, you know, guidance and grace. And I would always remind people that you're part of a greater good. Um, I didn't know that when I was little, but as the leader, you want to uh, let people know that they're important and valuable. Everybody can make a difference. Uh, we all have power. Sometimes it's just laying right at our fingertips and we don't utilize it. Um, and so I want to remind people, yeah, you can be very significant. We don't know how much impact we have on others. Yes. Uh, Yes, beautifully said. So I'm wondering, do you have another story that you would like to share about some like shift that happened in you with your own heart? Uh, um, I certainly don't want to dwell on being the youngest, but I had a, a brother who was kind of a, uh, I don't want to say a bully, but he uh, was toxic and I reacted to that for years and years. And one time I was taking care of him and he woke up from a nap yelling at me and I kind of got bruised in the first moments of his loudness. And then I realized that this is a deficiency he had. He didn't have enough words to be either grateful to, um, anyway, I just, just kind of shored up my vulnerability. And I thought I can be a better person for him if I don't let him uh, sort of knock me down. I had already, and anyway, um, and I just had this shift all of a sudden that I could be parental to him. Do you remember a book years ago called I'm Okay, You're Okay? And they talk about within each of us, there is a child, a parent and an adult. And sometimes you don't know who's gonna show up in a situation within yourself, but you have to like choose the hat that you wanna wear. And I had to go with, in that situation with my brother to uh, uh, being the adult, not let him sort of pull me down. It's so interesting because, uh, you know, I, I have two older sisters and the eldest also was, was, was a bully, you know? And, and the, the saddest thing is that she, we all suffer in life, of course, and she, but she has suffered a lot in, in her life. And it was sort of becoming more of the parental figure or the adult in that situation at times that was called for for me too. So 
I didn't know we shared such a you know close uh, experience that way. Um, I know often the youngest child is is the maverick. Often the youngest gets out quick, you know, because it's not so much fun being the youngest, and 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 so they go and they do their own thing. So they're very independent, and they often do become leaders in their field. Um, so so let's just talk about how how did this experience of this relationship with your brother transform how you show up in the world. Um, well, it's so, um, obvious, but I like nurturing people and I ended up, um, learning, um, some culinary skills and I would, uh, have the privilege of going into delicate catering situations where maybe at, uh, uh, one of my clients is trying to raise like $50 million from a donor. And I am setting the tone of the evening of both comfortable elegance. And I would find that I could be kind of the puppet master where I'm sort of behind the scenes setting a stage that would permit um, the conversation that was desired. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. Uh, that uh, my mind is just like whoa what does that feel like and how beautiful what you're what I hear you say in that is that you're creating a safe cocoon for the best outcome possible to occur is that kind of what you're saying exactly I would try to make other people feel at ease and feel comfortable by me taking the being on the bow of the ship taking the first splash of the wave, I would work hard to make everybody else um, have it easy. Now, one of my career high events, not one of the career high event, was doing a dinner for 8,000 people. And it was so difficult. And it was so, in, at the end, it was so successful. I was, um, you know, I didn't miss a stroke. I made everybody involved feel really important that they were being uh, very contributive. And, uh, and I think part of that comes from like your, one of your skills is you show up, you're genuine in your conversation, good eye contact. Um, obviously our, our, our achievements have to be without question. You know, there, there's no fakery when you're really doing things under pressure. Um, and I would make other people, even though I might have been the maestro, I made everybody feel like their contribution was just appreciated and noticed. What a beautiful story. And, and you know, for those of us listening, you know, I, I just want to say to, to all of you that, you know, Steve's brilliance in the culinary world is, is unprecedented. He is extremely well known for his excellence and his love. You are. You are. And... Um, Gosh, I mean, it actually makes me feel quite emotional. What you just said, 8,000 people, and to have everyone feel like they're part of this kind of divine orchestra, if you will, um, and that everybody matters. This is absolutely huge. <clears throat> so it brings me to, 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 to this very natural next question, which is, you know, what, how would you describe um, your, your heart vision for our world right now? Where do you see us going? What, what is the most important thing? Well, the last year or two, or certainly the last four centuries, 
<laughs> but the last year or two, we've become more aware of the inequities around. And I think we should all recognize that we can make a huge difference, each of us, like a pebble in the water. You know, you start off with like a ripple that's in your locale and it just goes out and goes out. This whole idea of the butterfly effect, I think each of us can uh, have an impact we don't see, but we should recognize that we are all perhaps um, other people are modeling our behavior. So, you know, choose wisely. I've just had the blessing of being a grandparent and it is, it's, uh, it's charming. I'm watching somebody start to acquire skills, conversation, values, makes me a little more aware of, you know, what I'm sending out. And so again, each of us, one of my, a couple of the big words I use are um, in my own life are inclusiveness. I want everyone to know that they have a voice. Um, I've had, because of my culinary skills, I've been able to go into homes through the kitchen door, but I almost always go out through the front door. I'm welcomed into the um, conversation. You know, maybe, a, uh, you know, maybe a perfectly sauteed salmon got me in the door, but then people recognize that this improved them. It's healthy, well-prepared, cared for. I care. I think that is like an important tagline. I care. And you probably came in, Kim. Um, with one of my friends, I've told her if I would. Go ahead. Go ahead, Steve. Um, um, I've, to, I've told one of my friends, you know, if I was king of the world, I would put up billboards everywhere that just say, help each other. Or, um, you, you know, it's sort of like Gloria Vanderbilt's uh, poster she had over her fireplace. You don't know what kind of struggle other people have had. Just be compassionate. And I like the idea of um, reminding people, you know, don't pass every homeless person without giving something to someone. I don't give things to everybody, but occasionally I do. And it is such a good feeling. The more you give, really, the more you get. Simple. Absolutely. I mean, it's so totally the, this, this golden rule idea. Um, I want to touch back to the pebble in the pond idea because the other night I watched a film um, about Marie Curie. And when I was a child, I was always looking to what, what, what did women do in the world? You know, who were the women leaders? And, and she was always one that really impressed me especially being in such a, a, a male-dominated world, completely male-dominated science, and winning the Nobel Prize and everything. I didn't know she suffered so much in her life until I saw this film. You know, she lost her husband to a tragic accident, and of course the radioactivity of, of you know, her studies and, and her experiments affected his health and then hers and then many others. But there was a beautiful moment in the film where she's questioning her whole life and she's questioning her discoveries. And she's saying, did, did, I, did I do good? You know, did my mission, because she was very mission driven. 
she really wanted to help the world. Did my, my mission-driven life help this world? And, and her husband sort of comes sort of in a dream because he'd already passed on long before and, and, and says, you know, you're a pebble in a pond. You threw the pebble in the pond. You are not responsible for the ripples. And what was so beautiful about that is that, you know, her discoveries led to some things that were very dark, like the atomic bomb and, and you know, nuclear disasters and stuff. And, and also to beautiful things like x-ray machines that when used judiciously have been, you know, of great help where she helped, you know, the, the soldiers not have their limbs cut off for a, for a sprained ankle, you know, because they could do x-ray and realize that actually didn't need to take the leg. They just needed to, you know, heal the sprained ankle. So it just really got me thinking about this idea of the pebble in the pond and the beauty of those ripples, but we don't know where they're going to go and they could be used for good or not. And uh, to be unattached to the ripple effect, but to know that it is, it is true. There is a ripple effect for to everybody's life. You're right. You know, sometimes, I, I think I got a little wisdom from Joe Dispenza and he was talking about the benefits of meditation and how to really, uh, I, I think sort of to smooth out the water, you have to quiet the mind, quiet the critical analytical part of our mind. And most days I start off doing some uh, Qigong or Tai Chi. I do some sort of quiet, personal meditation when the sun is just coming in the window and um the whole idea is when you can quiet that you know whatever the you know the the, the monkey mind chatter that we can get um you start to focus it you channel it all of a sudden it goes from like a cacophony to a symphony and it's just really starting the day with quiet time and it's kind of getting organized saying, you know, there'll be like two or three or four things that I want to accomplish today. You become much more efficient. Um, at my stage of life now, I've retired, so I don't have the structure of, of work, um, which gives you freedom actually to think about anything and to reach out to almost anybody. Um, and I'd like to start that off with um, some great meditation and certainly through um, yoga, which Gaia has great, um, you know, access to and the offerings. Um, it's really the way we, if we can improve ourselves individually, we'll improve ourselves collectively. Yes, absolutely. During this last year, I've done a lot of yoga on Gaia and often will do it you know, with the, ideally with the sun rising, like the sun salutation is, is just, you know, saying thank you for the gift of sunlight. And, you know, thank you for the moon. And we just had this beautiful full moon in Scorpio. And it's like, it's really remarkable. I was driving home late last night around 11.30 from a concert I'd gone to dance to live music and the moon no longer full, but really orange and huge in the sky and such an amazing, I was just like, wow. Just wow, life yeah. a big wow. <laughs> Eating the moment. I had one of those epiphany moments in 
Egypt in Luxor in one of the Pharaoh's tombs. And these guys spent so much time valuing living that they thought it would continue certainly after dying. And I um, just had that moment where there's no more time for fear or anger. We have maybe 80 short years on the planet out of the whole scheme of eternity. And you want to embrace each one with the best thoughts you can have. Yes. And I think this is, <clears throat> I think it's in the Bhagavad Gita and I'm going to paraphrase, but it's just the idea of the, the mind is a wonderful thing, but make sure the mind is a, a servant of the heart. The mind is the servant of the heart, not the heart, the servant of the mind. The mind being the servant of the heart. I feel like that is such an important dictate to live by you know and meditation of course or yoga in in the rising sun it, it it all helps us to come back to that place of gratitude of calm like you said earlier of of just mindfulness or heartfulness i always feel like ultimately there's one mind one heart you know i really feel that one will and 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 to me, it's it's especially right now this this calling to become one heart, you know. So, um, oh, there's so many places we could we could go. But I I'm thinking in what in what you've said today, you know, what would you what would you suggest for people? Like, what would be your kind of golden nugget? And certainly, you've given us many. Um, how would you encapsulate that into one golden nugget for for people to to kind of like a North Star, I guess. Yeah. Oh boy, to distill this down into a paragraph is clumsy because, um, uh, again, um, just to reiterate what Joe Dispenza has said, that he's one of his comments is that knowledge is for the brain and experience is for the body. And so I feel like we need to go out and participate and bring other people along with us. I think that uh, inclusion and sometimes finding somebody that's maybe on the sidelines and bring them into the center stage. I think uh, for me, it's gonna be to live your best life through good thoughts, you know, great diet, uh, you know, having the anti-inflammatory um, choices that we make so we feel better and teach people. I uh, think that uh, we need to help others. It's really, yeah, that's really where I go. I, I think absolutely, you're so right on. And, and, and it comes also from that self-care, which I know you've been very passionate about the anti-inflammatory diet. And we talk a lot about health because it's also a huge passion of mine is that it's sort of like put the oxygen mask on you first so that you can actually be of effect and help others. Because if you're not well, then your pebble in the pond isn't going to maybe create the, the great ripples you would love. Hey, there's one other guy that I stumbled on. He's maybe one of the um, smaller contributors at Gaia, but this gentleman named Clint Ober started up um, studying about earthing, which is really how we've all gotten sicker since we started walking on rubber-soled shoes. And his suggestion is touch the earth. 
um, you know, whether it's taking off your socks and shoes and walking outdoors or putting a grounding mat on your bed or, um, you know, getting reconnected, you know, as we're figuring out what to do with 7 billion people. And I think by the time our lifespan is over, there might be um, 11 billion people on the planet. I think by 2040 or so, it might be that high. And, um, you know, we need to not be so tribal, but be more uh, global. And I think part of that is going to be via connectivity and via, again, getting grounded. I am starting to walk outdoors now without shoes on a little bit more, and it feels wonderful. This is all part of, we're a fountain of feelings. And so you want us kind of like uh, improve your fountain. So, well, I love that. You know, I have a grounding mat right here under my computer. I have one in my bed. I'm all about grounding. And, and on our beautiful last Sunday day, we had such a warm day. I, I put my bikini on, went and lay in the grass in the late afternoon with the late afternoon sun. So it wasn't like super hot in the middle of the day. And it was, it's just always so healing to be in nature. And it is about connection. And I do believe we are one big symphony with the planet herself, with our food sources, our organics, with the moon, the sun, the stars, the universe, the multiverse, everything is connected. So your idea of inclusion and inclusiveness speaks very powerfully to me personally around that's included all you know, it's not just human beings, it's the everything. We're all part of an incredible heart symphony. And um, that's, it's so beautiful. I love what you're saying. I feel like we could talk forever. I, I know we can't. And, but thank you so much, Steve, for this conversation. I know it's going to really help others. I feel incredibly moved. I'm so grateful you're my friend. I love you dearly. You are very precious in my life. And, uh, and what a great time we've had here today. So thank you so much. Oh, it's a pleasure. And I love um, how you're reaching people. It's just terrific. Thank you for your help too. Thank you, Sita. Absolutely. And thanks to everybody for watching. I will put the uh, Steve's bio below and I'll put the links below. Um, please share with others and please do join the Gaia community. I will definitely put a link for that below. We'd love for you to join and, you know, start just expanding your own consciousness along with us. It's a never ending journey. We love the journey and we'd love you to be on it with us. So thanks everybody. Much love and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye-bye.